Okay, we're interviewing Megan on Rockosophy Podcast while Tori is playing Harvest Moon because Megan enjoys that. And I enjoy asking Megan about things. She's going to define for us questions that come up when you watch serial killer documentaries, which I know we all do. Oh, I'm just asking, I'm just answering your questions. I know, but we are watching lots of serial killer documentaries, and then we move to Criminal Minds, so everyone's into the serial killer thing. I feel like the number of serial killer podcasts speaks to that. Yeah, it's actually, like, the true crime stuff, so popular these days. Right, so, then you switch to Criminal Minds, where they're basing all of these things off of the documentaries. Now... You and all of the counselor friends that you have, that I've met, that I have, that everyone knows each other, you do the voodoo on the brain, everyone hates the schizophrenic stereotype about serial killers. Why? Um, it's hugely problematic and actually pretty dangerous to associate mental illness with dangerousness because that link like scientifically just isn't there um people especially with schizophrenia are much more likely to they're a super vulnerable population they're much more likely to be victims of a crime than a perpetrator of a crime um because because they're just super vulnerable and um they, they don't function if they're super unmedicated at the same level as the rest of us do. And actually, most people with schizophrenia, and this has gone away in the last edition of the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Which version is that on, by the way? Right now, we're on 5. Um, no. Yes. The DSM 5. Yeah. Right. Um, but schizophrenia used to be organized by type, so there'd be like... Uh, catatonic, catatonic schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia, disorganized schizophrenia. And actually the majority of folks who have schizophrenia are disorganized type, meaning they had disorganized thought patterns, and usually that plays out in disorganized speech as well. Um, so people with schizophrenia are rarely dangerous. Um, and that said, the most, as we know, the best predictor of dangerousness is past behavior and so if someone has been dangerous in the past or has been socialized in like a violent household or socialized in a gang setting where violence is normative and that's how you solve problems and they happen to have a mental illness they are more likely to be dangerous so violence is just like a whole thing unto itself but if you just take the illness on and of itself yeah it doesn't when you look at the illness as a predictor alone, it's incredibly, incredibly low. Right. So you need what to distinguish? I asked, we were watching Criminal Minds, and I said something about, okay, so this particular villain has delusions, but does that necessarily, because they're always using technical language in this show, it's supposed to be very well researched, about whether or not it's a schizophrenic or, like, a delusional or, like, a what type of crazy stalker. There's, like, four types of stalkers. They have all these things. So I asked Megan, all right, so what is this then? This doesn't sound like someone who's just not doing well, as you would say. This sounds like someone who just simply walks in a totally different, murderous rampage kind of dateline, dramatic, killing, human person thing. Save me here, babe. 
Uh, well, lots of different people can have delusions. Um, even, you know, the everyday person might at one point be under the, might be, might have a delusion. Um, remember delusions are thoughts about reality that are not there and hallucinations are sensations that are not there, right? You're seeing something that's not there, you're hearing something that's not there. Okay. And delusions are your your thinking or you have a it's a false belief, right? You believe something that is not true. Okay. Um there are there's a delusional disorder that is different than schizophrenia because as I was saying to you earlier, in order to to, to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, you need to have positive symptoms what are called positive symptoms and negative symptoms. Positive symptoms are the presence of a symptom. So um hallucinations fit into there and i believe to have schizophrenia you need to have at least there needs to be hallucinations involved okay um so the presence of hallucinations or delusions um or some of the other symptoms that we might think of right um the rapid tangential speech that kind of thing but you also have to have neg what are called negative symptoms and that are those are like the abnormal absence of something so i pulled it up because sometimes i have a hard time um remembering them but negative symptoms are like blunt or flat affect um poverty of speech which is literally like lack of typical speech um poverty of speech and thought apathy anhedonia which of course is the lack of pleasure in doing things um reduced social drive loss of motivation lack of social interest and inattention to social or cognitive input and so a lot of these are really recognizable symptoms in other mental illness too, right? Like depression has a lot of those. So you need to have those in order to, to qualify to be diagnosed with schizophrenia as well. Otherwise, it might just be a delusional disorder. Right, so if the delusional disorder, bringing that back to schizophrenics and violence don't necessarily go hand in hand. When we're talking about serial killers and what is and is not a delusional disorder, think of the completely stereotypical plot on television and tell us why being like, well, that's clearly a schizophrenic psychopath or something like that is super not great. I talk good. Welcome to my podcast. Well, because I have a very specific image in my mind, law and order, criminal minds, CSI. Actually, I never watched CSI. Well, I mean, to be frank, we probably wouldn't call them schizophrenics anymore. Um, People first language. So it'd be people with schizophrenia. Yeah. I think, I don't think there's a lot of serial killers out there who have schizophrenia. Um, there's less than you would believe, right? And oftentimes, like I said before, people with schizophrenia can be so disorganized that I don't know if they could carry out some of the crimes that are portrayed on TV. Now, you know, Son of Sam, which was a serial killer in New York, claimed to have schizophrenia, or he claimed that he was doing it because he, that he was talking to the devil through a dog. Who was, the owner was Sam? Is that how Sam gets in there? No, I think, I don't know, maybe Sam really was the name of his dad. He, he referred to himself as the Son of Sam in a letter to the press or the police or something. I know, but the, I thought that was because the dog's owner's name was Sam. I don't know. Okay. Right. And, anyway. Um, then he later claimed that he made that up. Whether or not he actually did have schizophrenia, I guess I don't know. Um, 
Was he the New York one that, like, positioned people, cut people up, ate them? No. Oh. I think he murdered couples in a car. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, I don't know. And there are also people who have schizophrenia where you, like, if they are, if they have a really good support system and they have stability in their life and you know their symptoms are well controlled on medication you might be able to carry on a conversation with them and not even know that they have schizophrenia that sounds nice i mean for them you know to be treated as people because and actually i think if i remember the trajectory of the symptoms tends to get better the older you are now the unfortunate part is that folks with schizophrenia have a lower life expectancy because of other factors. A lot of them, unfortunately, do complete suicide. Um, they might be victims of crime, like I said. Um, they might have other complicating health issues because they didn't, they weren't receiving proper medical care or they weren't getting their needs met, you know. A lot of them will not get proper nutrition or health care, frankly, or they, they lose control of their other medical conditions if they are having a particularly bad psychotic episode. So... It would probably be really hard to be type 1 diabetic and also psychotically schizophrenic. I've known a few. Really? Oh, that yeah. sounds... I wouldn't be able to, with all of my brain power, I don't think I would be able to manage that. Well, We're all heroes. A huge number of my patients when I was inpatient were diabetic, so... Oh. Well. That's why I would have uh, my trainees practice finger sticks on me before they ever practice on a patient. Because they were like, we know how to do this, chumps. Well, because I was like, this is, you need to learn how to do this carefully and compassionately when you're working with a symptomatic population. Oh, yeah. And you want to be able to do it right and do it quick, so you're not, like, unduly frustrating someone. Yeah, I mean, for those of us who've given blood and had that one phlebotomist that like oh yeah i'm familiar yeah and you're just like <laughs> just give me the needle like all right yeah it's gonna be easier for both of us and i don't even know what i'm doing you gotta learn how to do it and if you have a trainer as great as me willing to let you practice on them take advantage of that you really should be running some kind of department okay so i feel like i had other questions about the stereotypes but most of them just come down to stereotypes if there was going to be a condition of humans that made someone a serial killer, I feel like the first thing that comes to my mind is not necessarily some kind of illness, but, like, that weird, creepy fixation with... Like, the childlike fascination with, like, insects that I particularly felt, but that on everything that's alive. I don't know what that's called. It wouldn't quite be, like, complete apathy... And it wouldn't necessarily be a lack of empathy, but I remember as a child having, like, weird, vibed, like, I could just watch this happen, and it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't be great, but also how interesting it is to watch this happen. And if that was in, like, a human when it comes to killing people, that's my understanding of a serial killer. I think what you're describing is this level of curiosity that is divorced from empathy. In you, you're those things have some connection, right? Well, yeah, but that's how I see the completely empathetic killer, or apathetic killer, and that's why I don't think it's necessarily the stereotype is tied to a specific kind of illness. Um, 
So, but I'm now more interested in your childlike curiosity that is divorce of empathy. How does that fit into like the banality of evil book? I've never read the banality of but evil. You know the topic of it. I've never read that either. Um, well, I think what you would be describing is pretty akin to antisocial personality disorder, which yeah. is that lack of right. empathy, <laughs> lack of social order, lack of any sort of care or regard for the fate and experiences of others. So I think that's what allows serial killers, and not everyone with antisocial personality disorder is a serial killer. Like, there are plenty of people who are probably diagnosable who are not out killing people. Like CEOs? Or is that, that's one of them, right? Maybe. I mean, I know CEOs are more likely to have psychopathy. I don't know if psychopathy automatically equals antisocial personality disorder, but they might hmm. be people who... For them, it's easier to complete crimes, or easier to complete violent crimes, or they don't take any responsibility and they have no remorse. Um, They're like, if it's not on my doorstep, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, they... As someone who's not in the mental health profession, everyone please forgive my terminology, <laughs> or lack thereof. Yeah, and so I think, like, serial killers, they're just... I would be surprised if there are many serial killers who did not meet that diagnostic criteria. And I think there's a lot of myths about how that might form, but what oh. you hear most often in the shows is the, like, serial killer triad or something, which is um, torturing animals as a child, um, fire setting, and um, bedwetting for an extended amount of time. Whether or not there's any evidence to that triad of behaviors... I highly doubt. I think it was something that was just, like, really interesting pop psychology theory that then got exacerbated and then found out to be less of the case. I don't know. But if you... So... It does sound very much like the character from the third Hannibal Lecter film. Oh, yeah. The, like, the tattoos. Um, a lot of times there's abuse and neglect in childhood. Um, and what... So, you can't diagnose a personality disorder before the age of 18. Or it's bad practice. You might notice some traits. It's bad practice. But you wouldn't necessarily diagnose that, right? But you can diagnose um, oppositional defiant disorder, but more likely you'll be looking at a antisocial personality disorder if you have an adolescent who has a conduct disorder. And that's where they're actually starting to do things. Maybe they're involved in the juvenile justice system, you have a history of... Uh, burglaries or assaults or, you know, they are killing the neighbor's cat. Like, that type of, Jeez. those behaviors versus just, like, mouthing off, that's kind of some red flags. That's called conduct disorder, and conduct disorder is the adolescent version of antisocial personality disorder. So, what if, like, a little, so it would, would it still be considered conduct disorder if, a kid that was, I don't know, I remember being six years old and in kindergarten, so that's my version of, like, a small child. So, like, a six-year-old murders a cat. Is that going to be conduct disorder, or do they, like, the same behavior at different ages? It just goes by a different name. I don't know about that. I think it, that would depend on circumstances. I don't know if people diagnose conduct disorder that young. Oh. If you are a six-year-old and you are, like, torturing an animal, um, 
in a way that makes it clear that you know what you're doing, you've got... Mm, that's a very significant situation. But it's all context, I think. I okay. know people who've accidentally killed their animals in really sad, tragic ways, but it certainly wasn't intentional. Oh, and, like, the, like, the, I thought my turtle could swim, but it's, like, a land turtle, so it, like, definitely drowns or something. Yeah, or, like, I've heard people bringing their animals to school, and then they oh. die in their lockers. Oh, jeez. Yeah, like, those really just awful <laughs> accidents. Oh, honey. Poor crackers. <laughs> Whatever kind of animal that was. Um... Okay, so, I'm trying to think of something that would make, like, a child serial killer or something, but all I'm thinking of is television. I guess I have no actual understanding of. Most likely the people doing all the crazy things on TV, like, shooting up places, what's the problem there? Just society? The failure of capitalism? Stress? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of factors. Um... In terms of mass shooters, I guess that's not really something that I know very well. Um, I'm trying to relate it, like, the crazy amount of documentaries we've been consuming to some kind of thing happening right now, and I don't know anything about current serial killers, other than the one in Spokane that we couldn't find anything on on the internet. <laughs> so mass shootings would be, like, the next most violent thing that would probably be some kind of... I mean... They considered the guy that holed himself up in the tower and shot a bunch of people with a sniper. He was a serial killer, right? I think, like, that one Criminal in Minds episode we saw, they might yeah. call him a LDSK, a long-distance serial killer. But, like they said, they don't have a lot of, at least in the show, they said they don't have a lot of profiles of people like that. Well, I thought there was one on, like, Ohio State or something, which they, like, the university swore they would spare no expense to find out what happened. It, it... You are probably thinking of Virginia Tech. Yes. Which, um, after, I mean, this is really terrible, but within our lifetime, the record has been broken several times for mass shootings, and I think in Virginia okay. Tech, 33 people were killed. Um, 33 or 32 on that campus, and that would have been when we were in middle school. Well, then, of course, Jesus. other attacks happened in the Pulse Massacre and the Las Vegas shooting, where the numbers were way higher. Um, I actually remember, I can't... America! <laughs> I remember looking <laughs> at the, funny, but that individual, his name was Cho Sung Wee, and I remember reading a profile on him, but I can't remember much of what it said, um... I don't know, a lot of people get radicalized or they are social outcasts, as in the case of Columbine, and then they just, they decide to take it out on people. The problem is that um, a lot of mass shooters are killed as a result of that event, um, so, or they complete suicide. Um, because they just... Who would want to do that? Well, they don't want to be taken alive. Um, you know. So, there, I, that, I think, I still think that's a newer phenomenon in, um, especially in the United States. You know, I know there were a couple of mass shootings, like the one in Oslo, Norway, and the one in, um, uh, Broadchurch, was it? New Church? 
Going to New Zealand. I don't know. I'm getting the things that are actually happening in the world mixed up with all the books that I've been reading since COVID. So I was reading Frankenstein in Baghdad, and apparently the number of bombings was just so regular. And they were just like normal people that were, were being coerced by one political entity or another to just blow stuff up. Well, I think uh, what I'm trying to say is that we're still we're still learning about the psychology of mass shootings. Oh, yeah. I wonder what you would say about Tribe. There's another book about human connectivity. Okay, well, any mental health guru voodoo commentary on serial killers and mental health? I have a thought, but not anything that's profound or well-researched. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not an expert. Um, and this is not, I mean, we're obviously not talking in, like, a professional sense. This is just kind of an off-the-cuff conversation, so keep that in mind. Well, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of focus on the nurture side of things, and sometimes we discount the nature side of things. Um, so there are, there are definitely situations where, and this is where, like, moms get blamed a lot, sometimes unfairly, or someone's situation growing up gets a lot of attention, but there are definitely times where things just go wrong in the physical sense, in the genetic sense, and in the, the brain sense. And sometimes that's not anyone's fault. Um... So, you really have to look at the whole picture of someone. Before making any kind of, like, diagnosis or judgment. Yeah. Aww. That's beautiful. So, you know, I think that just comes back to a really good practice of don't make assumptions. Yeah. My final thought about serial killers and mental health is that there's still a lot of taboo about the banality of evil, which is kind of why I brought up the book, and about how... Like, yes, all like just to do some of these actions would be considered some kind of mental illness, mostly because normal, healthy humans don't do them. But in a world that is increasingly globalized and increasingly anonymized, people are rarely interacting entirely with people that they know and trust, right? Yeah. So anonymous crime is huge. So in a world where that is growing, I think the scariest part of these shows is that they assume there's something radically wrong with these people, when really, perhaps, we are not programmed to cope with encountering, with, like, selfish animal desires, like money and power and, I don't know, what other validation you get from murdering someone. But when you really, truly have never met the person before in your life... And so many strangers don't report stuff. Like, that to me is scarier than the mental health of like, oh, but this dog told me to do it, like Son of Sam or whatever. I would be much more afraid of the person who was like, well, I didn't know who it was that was dying, so I didn't really care. And you're like... Yeah, well... <laughs> I mean, I take a lot of comfort in the fact that we as humans are biologically hardwired for empathy, right? Um... Oh, wow. that's what mirror neurons are all about. And there's some science, I think, don't, again, don't quote me, but there's some science to suggest that quote-unquote psychopaths or serial killers um, have biological deficits in, like, the parts of their brain where all those mirror neurons are and X, Y, Z. Um, 
and I do know that one of the only types of therapy that's indicated for like antisocial personality and like conduct disorder type thing is morality therapy, um, practicing moral responses and recognizing that kind of thing because they might just have a hard time recognizing um, the the moral choice because if you don't have that reinforcer of like the empathy and the guilt and shame part that can kind of like I can see where that's hard right where there's that disconnect um, and if you're in a situation that is anonymous enough you might be able to get away without actually seeing the harm that you're doing even right. if you might be told it is wrong huh well and and the consequences of your actions may have less power if you don't care, right? Um, literally, antisocial. Um, I have, like, strong feelings about different colors of M&Ms, so... <laughs> well, I'm trying I mean. to emphasize what you're saying here. I mean, what I'm saying is that science is coming a long way, and we might be developing better treatments when these situations are recognized. Huh. So do you think there are proportionally more serial killers now than there were in prehistoric times? Or do you think it was just easier to be like, a serial killer in a world where people accident, like, died accidentally all the time. Yes and no. I mean, the serial killers that we've talked about that were operating in, like, 19th century Europe seem to be much more successful because criminal science was in its infancy and there were no such things as forensics. And um, hmm. people died a lot easier so I think you're, right now, if you're a serial killer, you're much more likely to be caught sooner than back in the day. Um, I guess I can't really comment on what was happening with prehistoric humankind. Well, I'm just thinking, like, before modern, whatever we consider to be modern, large-scale murder investigations. I mean... You killed so-and-so, someone took a revenge killing on you. Like, that seems pretty old school. But, like, people that went around and did it a lot without some kind of war background, I feel like it would be noticeable. But also, we were living in gatherer, hunter, small nomadic groups for most of our biological history. We haven't made any physical changes in 20,000 years. However, we've been doing what we've been doing for 200,000 years. So... You know, the biology behind it, to me, speaks very heavily to society prior to anything close to internet. Although you could argue that, like, nonverbal speech is a kind of internet with the environment. I don't know. I guess I can't, I can't comment too much on it. I can no. say that, you know, society is, is structured differently, and um, we live in very different times than people used to, so maybe there is less... Maybe there's more opportunity for less social buy-in and that kind of antisocial personality type stuff to develop or, you know. Okay. Well, that answers my question. If you guys have any questions, please feel free to comment or share or send us a link or something like that. This has been Rockosophy and Megan. Yeah, I was saying, you know... When we were talking about this way earlier, I made the joke that if I wasn't a mental health counselor, I would have, or if I could do it all over again, I would have joined the FBI. I'm not sure that I would, that's actually true. Oh? <laughs> oh? I don't think I would.
think I'm super cut out to be FBI. What's going to be different? So, like, you're, as a crisis counselor, as a crisis counselor, what could possibly be more dramatic? Or you're going to be, like, the miscongeniality of, like, planning busts of serial killers? I guess that was a bomber. I don't know how similar they are. It's getting away from me now. But you know what I'm saying. Like, how is that going to be any more stressful? Well, my clients, when I was working, rarely killed people. Okay, but... And I got to, like, actually help people um, who were super vulnerable. I wasn't, like, trying to take them down or put them in jail or anything. Okay, but, like, the few times that things got scarier are the times that I remember. Because hubby staying home, being worried about, <laughs> about you running around. Well, you know, At night. I, unfortunately, I was in some very dangerous situations in my, my tenure when I was working in crisis. One, a lot of those situations were because of decisions that I made <laughs> and information I did not have. So I take a lot of responsibility for that. Okay. Number two, it's a lot nicer when you get to call in the police versus when you are the police. So once I was safe, I got to call the police and kind of walk away from it. I didn't have to hmm. deal with everything that came after that. So. Ah. Okay, well, so what do you not want to be about the FBI, then? I don't want to be the police. Oh, you I don't, don't want to be popo? I don't want to have to run around in the in the Kevlar vest. Oh. It would probably weigh as much as you do. You'd just be a giant Kevlar vest with little sticky legs sticking out. And, like, a giant gun that stares at people in the I've face. I've seen those uniforms. They're walking around in things that are way too hot in the summer. Yeah, and the colors are all really dark, even when you're in, like, the conservation officer uniform. By the way, conservation officers calling out... I don't think I have any of you guys that are listening, but we should definitely recruit some in our audience. They'd be a fun group of people to talk to. Okay, final thoughts? That's all I got. Bye.